0: Coming up on Nurse Talk, nurses petition federal OSHA for workplace violence prevention standards.
1: It's time we stop deluding ourselves about private health insurers.
0: ACA health insurance plans seek up to
1: 45% rate hike. Kaiser Doc finally calls patient back. How long did it take? Our Healthcare in America reporter, Donna Smith, knows. All this and more today on Nurse Talk. Welcome to Nurse Talk, I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason, and we're two of the thousands of nurses on duty today.
0: Shane, a great big thank you to all of our listeners on Progressive Voices Tune In and all of our broadcast partners.
1: I'm not shocked that it took the doctor so long to call the patient back. I'm just shocked that he called it all. It's pretty sad, huh, Casey?
0: It sure is. Not as sad as this, though. I have the biggest bank in the world as a tenant of mine in New York.
2: The biggest in the world, a Chinese bank. Don't worry about that baby. I love babies, so <laughs> I love babies. I hear that baby crying, I like. I like it. What a baby. Don't worry, don't worry. It's young and beautiful and healthy, and that's what we want. Okay, but but look, look, we have the piggy bank. They have ripped us to shreds. Actually, I was only kidding. You can get the baby <laughs> out of here. <laughs> I, I think she really believed me that I love having a baby crying while I'm speaking. Uh, that's okay. People don't understand.
1: Ah, uh, but we digress. Now, just to be fair, next week we're going to play a soundbite of uh, Hillary Clinton smashing the windows of a jewelry store that she robbed <laughs> on her way to sell illegal guns and drugs.
0: Shane, we have a great show today. Two of our favorite people will be with us. RN and nurse practice specialist Deanne McEwen will talk about National Nurses United petition to federal OSHA for workplace violence prevention standards. It's about time. The petition submitted by NNU includes many of the provisions and protections won in the 2014 Workplace violence prevention legislation in California by Senate Bill 1299.
1: And for our listeners out there not familiar with the critical issue of workplace violence in the healthcare setting, it's a growing national epidemic against registered nurses and healthcare workers, and it's finally being taken seriously on a national level.
0: And later, we'll visit with our Healthcare in America senior correspondent, Donna Smith, about the reality of private insurers and rate hikes coming to the ACA.
1: And how long does it take to get a return phone call from your healthcare provider? Well the answer it happens right after you've written and published a major article about that <laughs> provider on a national <laughs> blog site and thousands of people read it including the doctor.
0: Ooh. <laughs> Violence against nurses is at an epidemic level. In 2014, three in four nurses experienced verbal or physical abuse, such as yelling, cursing, grabbing, scratching, or kicking from patients and visitors, according to a study in the National Journal of Emergency Nursing. Three in ten nurses reported physical abuse, the study found.
1: Between 2012 and 2014, nurses and nurse assistants experienced higher rates of workplace violence injuries than other healthcare sector workers, according to a study by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The problems getting worse, the study found, nurses and nurse assistants' rates of workplace violence injuries rose steadily over the two-year period.
0: In 2010, the tragic death of fellow National Nurses United RN Cynthia Palomato was a galvanizing moment. Cynthia died as a result of preventable workplace violence. Nurses stepped up their efforts to protect their fellow RNs and after four years won comprehensive legislation in California requiring all hospitals to have a workplace violence prevention plan. Now National Nurses United is leading the fight to secure these protections in
1: every state. Here with us is RN and Nursing Practice and Health and Safety Specialist Deanne McEwen. Deanne, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Well, thank you so much, Shane and Casey. Uh, Good afternoon to you.
0: Nice to hear you, Deanne. One thing I have to say, I just want to point out, uh, four years it took to secure this. You know, uh, that just kills me that it takes so long for something that seems absolutely uh, nonsensical that you would want to protect the safety of your health care staff.
2: Well, the problem seems to be that there have been um, standards and policies and procedures in place, but they really didn't have any explicit enforceable provisions. Mm-hmm. And as Cynthia Palamata's uh, auntie, who had flown out here from the Philippines to attend her memorial, said, somebody shouldn't have to die before something is done. So yeah. We're nurses, right? We have to go back in the room and we did an assessment and now we're proceeding with implementing this plan. Mm
1: -hmm. Deanne, the rates of violence are on the rise as well. Between 2005 and 2014, incidents of workplace violence increased by 100%, 110% in private industry hospitals. So what's going on to contribute to this rise in in violence?
2: Well, we do know that uh, work shouldn't hurt. And so, um, you know, as staffing levels become a problem, Mm -hmm. education and training... Uh, plans are not implemented. As a whole, uh, people who come to hospitals come there for care. And traditionally, hospitals are thought of being places of healing. And there's a lot of people out there that need help, and they have nowhere else to go. And so they are showing up at higher rates in our hospitals and health clinics. And so it just points to the fact that we really need to invest in a comprehensive public health planning and safety with universal access to
0: care for people. Absolutely. So, Deanne, I want to point out because I think it's important that according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, estimated that healthcare workers experience workplace violence at rates five to 12 times higher than workers overall. And I always think it's important to say we have more assaults on healthcare workers than prison guards or police officers. And yet they get to react when when violence occurs in in their world. Well, they do
2: and you know the employer has the duty uh, responding its superior under OSHA guidelines to make sure that your workplace is free of all known hazards. And so in hospitals and healthcare settings, of course, people come there for help because they're generally ill, under a lot of stress. They may get news that they didn't expect to hear, people all react and behave differently. We can't hold patients accountable in that way, but we should have a means of holding our employers accountable for following strict enforceable guidelines. So again, in 2014, we succeeded in getting legislation passed here in California, and uh, through our affiliates in National Nurses United and Minnesota, Massachusetts, uh, other states are following suit, but you know, Nurses and healthcare workers can't wait because this is on the rise, as you've pointed out. So we petitioned OSHA for national standards.
0: Which was a smart way to go.
2: Well, everybody deserves the same level of protection. And uh, there are people that talk about a nursing shortage. But uh, again, if they're working under circumstances where their own health is at risk, we can't really keep our patients safe if we can't have some guarantees regarding our own personal safety.
1: Yeah. And we want to talk about that OSHA petition. So what are the key aspects? This is a federal OSHA position that uh, petition that you've that you filed. What are the key aspects? And does this reinforce California Senate Bill 1299, which was workplace violence legislation?
2: Well, it certainly points to the, the wisdom of it and the value of effective planning, which we're experts at as registered nurses, and it gives credence to our voice. So the aspects of the petition that I'm very excited about is that uh, The Comprehensive Workplace Violence Prevention Program has to be implemented at all times in all units and all work areas and on the facility grounds, including parking structures. And there has to be interactive training, and it actually has to involve the staff that works in those specific units, because administrators may be well-intentioned, but when they're in the boardroom all day, they don't see the threats in the same way that Uh, an employee can evaluate and assess that there is a threat. So, again, everyone has to be on board with the planning and implementation and training regarding these procedures. Also, uh, prohibition on retaliation against employees for seeking law enforcement assistance. In a workplace where I work, people were afraid to call the police because the hospital wants to handle everything internally and they want to have their PR people out front because they're afraid of losing market share
0: uh, exactly. and,
2: and their image. And so that, that's a really exciting part of the, the national uh, petition.
0: It's an important one. So National Nurses United is working with nursing organizations in other states to introduce this legislation. What progress is being made there?
2: Well, already there's been um, movement in Massachusetts, in Maine, in Michigan, in Minnesota. And what's happening is that we're all uniting nationally. Uh, On behalf of everyone, whether they're represented or not uh, by a union, these protections would benefit everybody. Also to include patient-specific risk factors. The sad thing about this story is that every day you read in the paper or hear on the news uh, about another instance. Just in Pennsylvania, a couple of days ago, a man came to a psychiatric hospital, pointed a gun at two nurses, and um, took a woman from the hospital he had a history of psych issues, how he got past the information desk with a gun. I mean, that's something that people could look at. What about metal detectors, screening security guards at the door? Uh, Those kind of things we shouldn't really have to fight for, but they should be included in a specific plan.
1: I I mean, just anecdotally, I just did my last shift after six years at a psych clinic in San Francisco that'll go unnamed. And And when people ask me about Leaving there, I said that the thing that I'm most proud of is that I was there for six years and I didn't get shot, stabbed, or beaten. And that sounds very dramatic, but it's it's true. Like I was, it's true. You genuinely were physically scared for myself, and, and you were time. assaulted many times. Yeah. Yes,
0: A- and I have been assaulted in my career also many times. And you know, Deanne, when you said earlier about parking structures, it's true. You know, when they built hospitals, they really didn't think in terms of safety for the nurses, particularly psych hospitals, where you have long, empty hallways with nothing that prevents anybody uh, if they have ill ill intent, and then parking structures built right next to it that looks down into the hospital so that they can see you coming and going and see your license plate. All those things just went, you know, uh, unthought about. Um, and now, hopefully with this legislation, they'll have to think about that when they're building a new facility and think about our safety.
2: They they will, and, and personnel and staffing, trained staff that is trained to respond specifically to these instances, and they are taught techniques such as de-escalation techniques to try to diffuse a situation verbally. But uh, like Cynthia Palamata and another colleague of mine, Brandy Welch, uh, that works at a Southern California hospital, who had a teenage patient grab a chair and throw it at her. And uh, she suffered um, a a lifelong injury to her arm now that impacts every day of her life. And looking at things like the the setup of the structure, as you said, where's the parking structure? This is near and dear to my heart, and and I don't believe anyone else should be injured. Uh, Mm -hmm. Coming in on call, a lot of people are on call, and they come in alone at night. And personally... um, I was approached. Somebody came up as I was pulling into a parking space, beating on the car. Mm. It was a darkened corridor there uh, as I was going into the building where I had to get my uh, surgical supplies and uh, set up for our team. And that was very frightening. I kept going. This guy was running after my car, pulled up to the front door where the security guards were of the hospital, and told them I saw this guy. And they said, yeah, we've been looking for him. The police are here now. So this is... uh, really important uh, step that we've taken and we've got nurses all across the country with their eyes and their hearts and their heads and their voices now focused on this issue at the federal level.
1: So Deanne, what is the process for this federal OSHA petition? What, you know, we, you've told us a little bit what you're looking for, but what's the process? What's the next step?
2: They've certainly got a model in the California legislation that we won in 2014. Um, Senator Padilla, uh, SB 1299, and so we've got regulations out there, and the process is that OSHA can promulgate regulations, and they must be enforceable standards. Really, it's already written into the law that they ensure that all workplaces are free of known hazards, and nobody can deny at at this point in time and in history that workplace violence against healthcare workers are on the rise injuries and career-ending injuries at that and even deaths have occurred because these regulations have not been followed. So again, voluntary standards are not enough. They have to be enforceable. OSHA has the power and the authority to enforce and fine employers who do not follow the regulations. So again, we're the canaries in the mine shaft, if you will. We see a problem. We've done an assessment. We're implementing a solution, and we're going to go back in the room to make sure that uh, it's followed up on and implemented.
0: Thank you so much, Deanne, for your work uh, as a nurse, but particularly uh, fighting this. uh, NNU's done a wonderful job with uh, protecting nurses and getting this legislation going. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
2: It takes all of us. Thank you so much for the work you do.
0: Thank you. We've been talking with RN and Nursing Practice and Health and Safety Specialist, Deanne McEwen. For more information about this topic, visit nnu.org or nursetalksite.com.
1: We'll be right back with Healthcare in America and Donna Smith. Rate hikes for the ACA. Who's behind this? Three guesses. Stick around. We'll be right back.
0: Shane, I think you have sinusitis.
1: Casey, you cannot diagnose, treat, or prescribe.
0: Ugh, the bane of my existence, but you can as an NP, so what's the matter with me?
1: Verbal diarrhea.
0: Oh! Give me a second opinion. You talk too much. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. We cannot prescribe, diagnose, or treat, but Shane can, and it always hurts.
3: (laughs) Healthcare has been a runaway cost. This cost is about 18% of our economy, of our gross domestic product. It detracts from our ability to hire employees and retain employees, and it is a disincentive for us to grow our businesses in the United States. And we're competing with other economies that have health care costs half of ours. Uh, You know, we were up in Canada, and we met a lot of conservative business people who embrace their single-payer model.
2: We're sticking up for affordable health care for everyone. Everyone deserves great plans that has that coverage when they need it most in their lives. We
0: are the nurses, the mighty, mighty nurses. This is
1: Nurse Talk, where the doctor is the best medicine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with Shane Mason, who's laughing his (laughs) ass off, and we are two of the thousands (laughs) of nurses on duty today.
1: Former insurance company executive Wendell Potter is now a single-payer health care advocate and one of the nation's leading voices on the single-payer movement. He's also the author of Nation on the Take, How Big Money Corrupts Democracy and What We Can Do to Fix It.
0: Mr. Potter recently wrote an article for the Huffington Post titled, It's Way Past Time We Stop Deluding Ourselves About Private Health Insurers. He starts the article by saying, I didn't think it was possible for me to get more disgusted with the industry I used to be a cheerleader for, but I was wrong.
1: And that music can only mean one thing. It's time to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> it's Healthcare in America with senior correspondent Donna Smith. Donna, welcome to Nurse Talk. Always great to have you with us.
0: Wait a minute. Let me, let me wake myself up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Donna. You're interrupting
1: my nap, Donna. <laughs> I'm so sorry
0: about that. Well, Donna, let's just set up w- Wendell Potter's recent article in Huffington Post. It's way past time we stopped deluding ourselves about private health insurers. Can you talk about the details of the article? I love it.
3: Oh, absolutely. I think Wendell just always speaks so clearly about these issues because he was an insider to them, and he's talking about how they're they're all complaining now, the big ones, Aetna and United Healthcare, Cigna, Humana, that they just they can't tolerate these uh these amounts that they're losing by being a part of Obamacare and the exchanges that they need to be able to uh earn more money in other ways or raise rates higher than are even imaginable on those premiums on the exchanges, so Wendell in his article, it was really laying out the reality of how much better their profits are now than they were just last year or the year before that, and that it's all just a shell game for them um, in terms of making money, and it's always going to be the bottom line for health, private health insurers. So I think, you know, for any of us who who hold any illusions at all about the private insurance industry and, and them wanting to be a team player or be partners in the health of America, and all those kinds of things that were told to us during the ACA debates, can kind of lose those illusions for sure.
0: You know, what is so upsetting to me, Donna, with all of this going on and and his article, which fully explains it, why we're not hearing Hillary talk about this? Why we're not hearing more about this in this presidential debate, debate? Because we know that most of bankruptcies are a result of health insurance, people having health insurance and being penniless after one catastrophic event.
3: And it's still true. I think that's the, that's the problem. What, we, you know, what we've seen throughout this entire campaign is the Republican side of the House talking about how they want to repeal and replace Obamacare, yes. but not really saying what they want to replace it with. But the Democrats really not laying out what's wrong, how are things not functioning in the way they need to function with the exchanges, And in really talking about this issue of private insurance costs just continuing to escalate, I can always unfortunately use my own family's example on on healthcare premiums. Uh, Kaiser has told people in Colorado that they're hoping to hold those increases to 14% this year. Well, that's quite generous of them. But the reality is, for many of us, a 14% increase can amount to $100 a month or more on what we're already paying. So it's just outrageous what all these costs are. And for the Dems and in Hillary as being the top of the ticket now, to not talk about that flies in the face of reality for all voters who know exactly what's happening in their own families with these costs. So I think that's why it's so important for people like Wendell and Wendell in particular to get out there in front and say, "Let's talk about what's actually happening with the health insurance industry, and let's be honest about it." But it, wouldn't it be glorious if our elected officials would would say those things this honestly?
0: Yeah, just just to even mention it or talk about it would be lovely. Yes, is, agreed. Is, is there any way the ACA can hold rates down? Is there any way they could affect legislation about this?
3: Well, they'd have to do some correcting legislation. You know they'd have to do some modification of what they passed because one of the deals that they struck with the insurance industry at the time was around the annual ability for uh, for them to raise rates, around the ability to age rate, uh, which is always troubling for those of us who are not young anymore. It would have to be very quickly after the next election that they stepped in and said, okay, we've got to put some better controls on the cost of insurance for people, but can you imagine how the lobbyists in D.C. would go insane? The ones who lobby for the American health insurance plans would go crazy if they thought we were going to in any way nick at these profits that are actually a whole lot higher than they were before the ACA, so none of us want to be fooled about that.
1: So what does all this mean for the future of the ACA and the Affordable Care Act? Um, Where's this all headed?
3: Well, great questions. I mean, you know, Hillary has said that we have to improve on the ACA and a lot of the Democrats feel that way. It's why they are sometimes reluctant to say anything negative about it because they worked so hard to get it passed. We all remember those horrendous debates. So they feel like it's kind of an indictment of their work previously if we don't all just Right. celebrate but the reality is we can change it we have to be we have to be courageous enough to say if we're going to retain the affordable care act and the advances it has had you know of covering more than 11 million people who were never covered before by private insurance And the extensive um, expansion of the Medicaid program, which gave access to millions and millions and millions of underprivileged people in this country who would not have coverage at all, I don't think we want to roll that back. So the reality is we're going to have to fight for them to move forward, to move towards that day when we really provide Medicare for all in this country. And that's going to take a fight.
0: That is. So talk about the public option and, and how we can do this now state to state.
3: Yeah, well, the public option is an idea they floated kind of at the national level in 2009 and 2010 when they were debating the ACA, and then the Dems got scared because they were getting a lot of pushback, and they pulled it off the table. So now it's back in the Democratic Party platform. It has a lot of flaws. I mean, one of the things they said in the platform was people over 55 ought to be allowed to opt into Medicare. They also talked about states being able to be the laboratories of democracy that they are, and put forward some state plans. So in states like Colorado, where we do have a ballot measure this year called Colorado Care, Amendment 69 on the ballot this year, for people to vote to provide universal health care to everyone in this state. So states are allowed to move forward, and there are waivers available, and that may be the direction that we have to go in this country in order to eventually get us to the point where the whole nation says, we can't sustain this kind of system anymore and we're not so inhumane as we want people to suffer without care because that's really unless we do some serious change right now that's the direction we're heading in
1: well and you know one thing when i read this article too that that he talked about that you don't see a lot in the national conversation is he was talking about the dilution of care that happens with these big yes collaborations as well and the thing that's amazing is that everyone's talking about money 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 including us But you're not hearing anything about whether are people actually getting good care out of this (laughs) as well. So I don't mean to go off the rails, but it's kind of an indictment of the whole thing that going off the rails means talking about the level of care.
3: I was just at an event this morning where we were talking about Specifically this thing and how many of us in this country now are self-diagnosing first on Mm -hmm. the Internet and through friends and family because, God forbid, we call a provider and try and get an appointment and and we'll have another copay to pay and another next available appointment that's weeks or months off in the the future. So we self-diagnose, we self-medicate with over-the-counter meds, we do all these things, and we're accessing less care.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Even though we're insured at the same time, which yeah, is terrible. And exactly. plus you don't even know what you're covered for. Nine no. times out of ten, you don't know until you need that procedure if it's covered or not. Right. And exactly. then it's too late. Exactly. Yep.
3: So the insurance companies, you know, they're getting kind of this this double gift. You know, not only are they charging more premiums, but people are going and seeking less care. So they're having to pay out less in total overall cost for care.
1: And, and uh, let me just tell you, it's a rude awakening when you find out afterwards that your tummy tuck has not been covered. I can tell you, <laughs> I found that out the hard way.
0: <laughs> and it did Trust so me, little for you. Yeah. to cover my tummy tuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, Donna, now last but not least, you wrote a great blog this week for Common Dreams, pointing out wait times for care and then sent the link to your docs at Kaiser. So you have <laughs> a personal story here. Can you talk about what the blog post said and how fast your doctor called you back after reading it? <laughs>
3: I was so annoyed as, as people who read the blog could tell I was so annoyed and I get annoyed by people talking about how the wait times in Canada or the wait times in other systems are way too long. I thought, Come on, really? Let's be real. Mm-hmm. I mean my I started out with a relatively, you know, routine a health issue with my tendons in my hand that turns out to be something called d veins and and carpal tunnel both at the same time, but had some minimal treatment in January, was eventually referred to see a hand specialist later in March, who eventually, after we tried some other things, referred me to a hand surgeon in May, who referred me to someone else to get tested for my oxygen levels after Mm -hmm. uh, the MRSA a year ago, who then called me back after the testing in July to say their next available appointment to go over the testing would be in September, which means the problem for which I originally went in January for help cannot be fixed and dealt with until the oxygen level issue is cleared up, and that won't be until September. So I thought, Mm -hmm. I I can't deal. I just can't deal with this. So I finally decided to write about it, as I often do, and I wrote about it and thought, I can't explain it any better than this to just send the link to my doctor and say, you know what, this this is not okay, because I'm risking nerve damage. I'm a writer. I need my hand to be able to write. And uh, so anyway, I I got a call later that day. didn't take long. Apparently doctors
0: (laughs) can still dial the phone. I didn't know they were still (laughs) capable of doing that. Anyway, and he called you that same day, and did he you? He did
3: call me, and explained to me at first that Kaiser has taken on so many new patients.
1: Oh boy, right. just
0: it's
3: A common just difficult story. to fit
0: everybody in, isn't that tough? He's, That's too, busy, just such
1: bull. he's too busy counting money to call right. you back. Basically, <laughs> exactly is what that right, means, because right?
0: Right? he has so many patients that he's not treating. Right? <laughs> yes. to call you back. So, did he increase the weight? Did he say he'd see you before September? Yes.
3: They actually set up, which was uh, priceless, set up a phone appointment with me. Now you have to set up phone appointment. Yeah,
0: I love this right. phone appointment. Go over now.
3: results. You know, now they don't—they can't collect the copay over the phone. However, Kaiser is actually moving to a system. I don't know if they're doing it all over the country, but here in Colorado, where you can do an email appointment with your doctor, but oh, yeah. you do pay a copay.
0: Yeah, they're doing that here as wow. well.
1: I want to do that in my personal life. I'll oh, <laughs> be. to hang out? Can we just do an email <laughs> coffee? <laughs>
3: You could say, you know, right at the moment I have that kind of relationship with the Mayo Clinic online, and I don't have to pay a dime.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Anything <laughs> else you'd like to share with us, Donna?
3: Uh, just thank you. for Thank you to all the nurses out there who continue to be the only humanity most patients see in this system that's left, and I truly mean that. It's very hard as a patient to feel. as it, You know, we can joke, and we do, uh, when we talk about, you know, what kind of care we're getting, but the reality is when you're sick or you're hurt, to have someone who actually looks at you as a human being and isn't afraid to touch you, to help care for you, it's its its everything that's left in this system that's good.
0: I, I so agree with you, Donna, thousand percent. So thank you so much for being with us today, and thanks for waging a great fight for all of us who support single-payer health care for this country. We really need people like you
1: on the planet, Donna.
3: Thank you much. Play that mood music again. Maybe I can go back to my nap.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Yay.
1: Thanks, Don. We've been talking with Healthcare in America's senior correspondent, Donna Smith. Donna's also the executive director for Progressive Democrats of America and a longtime Healthcare for All activist. For more information about this topic, visit nursetalksite.com.
0: That's it for today. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, sound design and engineering, June Miller and JMC Sound, Taylor Lockard, our research assistant, and National Nurses United and all the nurses on duty today, and of course, all of our listeners and guests. Take care and visit us at nursetalksite.com or like us on our Facebook page at Nurse Talk.
1: Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Brought to you by National Nurses United. Check us out on Facebook or go to our website at nursetalksite.com. For more information about National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association, visit nationalnursesunited.org. Until next week, remember, laughter is the best medicine.